Hello and welcome to episode two of our new podcast, where I am uh, speaking with my colleague Ben Symes about roasting. So if you're interested in listening to roasting, yeah, continue this, listening. This is for the real uh, roast nerds out there, this one. I yeah. Think. <laughs> well, in the last episode, we yeah. talked a lot about uh, green coffee, but it was mm. kind of related to roasting. I'm sure mm. I could have a couple of episodes just on green coffee. Yeah. I mean, it's very related to roasting. So yeah, yeah, I think so. But uh, let's continue talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff we go through in our roast workshop, which, mm. wh by the way, when is our next roast workshop? Next one will be uh, towards the end of March. Yeah. We're going to have two sessions there. So one, um, I think it's the 19th or something. Yeah. I need to double check the dates, but it's uh, yeah, 19th of March and then the next week after that. Yeah. yeah. But the idea is to have them maybe monthly or bi-monthly? Exactly, yeah. We'd uh, like to have about six a year, so every couple of months. Yeah. yeah. And how many people can attend? Uh, we're open to have like a group of around six to nine people, I think is a good size. Yeah. Um, we just see how many come or how many can make it for each available date. Yeah. But um, no bigger than that because, you know, it's very kind of personal and interactive. Yeah, we yeah. want to keep it intimate and part of it is actually that uh, you bring your own coffee, so we evaluate that as well. Exactly. Which can be brutal yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can be brutal and can also be, it's a real eye-opener at least, yeah. um, positive and negative. It's a great way to get some kind of um, at least comparison and uh, yeah. yeah. You, you manage to sort of, you sort of unlock your own world there and you see what other people are doing and um, yeah, a nice way to evaluate your style there. Yeah. yeah. I think the beauty of keeping it small is that people actually interact much more yeah. than if it's a bigger group. Mm. Uh, sometimes people feel uncomfortable talking. Exactly, yeah. We've become good friends by the end of it. Yeah, so. it was uh, fun. But um, So let's continue. Like uh, One of the things we go through in the course is uh, sample roasting. Mm. And uh, probably we won't em put so much emphasis on it uh, in the next course, but uh, it's still part of the process of being a roaster. Yeah. Uh, you receive samples from an importer. Normally, it's green coffee. I'm mm. sure you can get roasted coffee as well, but for me, at least, the process of sample roasting is uh, a part of understanding the coffee you're actually buying as mm. well. Yeah. So, um, of course, you can't translate a curve from a small sample roaster to a big production roaster, production roaster yeah. even if it was from the same manufacturer, because the momentum of 100 gram coffee and 30 mm. kilos of coffee is yeah. very different. But uh, at least you get some indications on how it can roast and how it can taste. Yeah, when you compare different coffees and uh, then compare them, how they roast on production as well. Yeah. You see that uh, with moisture contents and things, you can give yourself a little preview into you know, what's yeah. going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, roast defects, because yeah. uh, is there well, such a thing as a roast well, defect? We called it roast defects, but for us it's sort of like mini fails or slight sort of misroasts, which are very common, especially in our style of roasting, I think, where we're aiming for a very small window of developed coffees. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it is a small window and it's easy to be a little bit under and a little bit over what we think is under and over. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we part of the course was sort of cupping through a, a table of small kind of roast fails of the same coffee, same yeah. variety, roasted um, things like slightly too light, um, slightly too dark, stalled roasts, things which we call baked. Yeah, um, yeah um, things uh, like, yeah, a few other sort of um, 
roast defects as well. Yeah. Just to sort of see if we can sort of identify them with sensory analysis. Yeah, and I think you can easily. Uh, the, the problem often is that it's slight. It's always slight. Exactly. So uh, if you have a slight green coffee, yeah. it might not be too light in mm. color. It can also be a little darker, but it's still not roasted the whole way through. Mm. So you have this kind of slightly green flavor. Yeah. And that becomes uh, more of a challenge when you have herbal coffees mm. that are, you know, like Caballeros coffees and also Nascimento mm. from Honduras. They have this kind of herbalness and also the Valle of Colombia from Tamala yeah. that we are mm. roasting a lot of. It has a herbal character to it. Yeah. Well, we actually we chose that coffee to use in this um, experiment because it's it is quite challenging to roast because it has this kind of bell peppery uh, herbal note inherent in the coffee. Yeah. And if you're a little light on it, that's really becomes over sort of emphasized. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think the biggest difference, at least on that cupping, is that one it was slightly green in roast the aftertaste is just not present. It mm. just, you keep it in your mouth and you spit out the coffee and then there's no kind of lingering sweetness or anything. Yeah. And you kind of feel the mouthfeel is not as nice, acidity is a little sharp and mm. citric. Mm. So there is kind of techniques to, uh, to recognize those kind of defects, yeah, I think. For sure. And it's a lot about just um, tasting them yeah. and analyzing them side by side and getting the experience to sort of so cupping is a major part of that, yeah. uh, that course, isn't it? And you also mentioned too dark and too light. Well, I would argue that there's almost no such thing, but yeah. uh, because it's a preference, but definitely too light means that, well, if you don't roast the coffee enough, it's just going to like, taste like cereal or malt. Mm. Uh, so that can maybe be argued. But, you know, too dark, if you yeah, put true. our coffees on a... Or our two dark coffees on a, a table at Starbucks, they would probably love it. You know? exactly, exactly. Or think it's too light. So I, I just I was um, lucky enough to go to Japan a couple of weeks ago and hold a Nordic roasting style seminar. Yeah. And that was a we talked a lot about preference. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's a personal preference, and you've got to find what you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for us, it is a small window where we might find there is if something is slightly roasty, it might sort of contribute to sort of hiding or disguising like the, some of the flavors and the, the yeah. mouthfeel in the coffee. Yeah. Um, so for us, we see that as a roast defect, but others might enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So and my kind of, I, I really don't like that kind of dry bitterness that you get from mm. slightly mm. more darker coffees. We want transparency really, don't we? So. Yeah. yeah, but I have had well dark roasted coffees as well that have you know a lot of body yeah. a lot of sweetness yeah. they're still you know roasty but uh, a lot of times you will find if you're trying to do a light roast and then it becomes a little dark it just becomes a little hollow and yeah not so nice yeah so there is a technique for both i guess mm. and there's no right or wrong it's just a matter of preference but what's the mm -hmm. idea of this uh cupping because uh, uh, i think you know in general with our course we're trying to give people tools mm. that they can take home uh, so, especially the yeah. roast defect, I think, is is a very valuable yeah. thing that you can't really teach on a video or anything. You have to be here and taste. For sure. And I think we chose to sort of open the, the week or the, the workshop with this cupping. Yeah. Because it's a good way to calibrate the group together. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all about calibration and tasting and identifying what we, at least what we sort of see as um, small misroasts. Yeah. 
And then um, yeah, once we're sort of calibrated as a group, we can sort of talk about uh, the curves or at least what some of the profiles look like that have caused these problems. Yeah. yeah. So. And then we also did a, a, like a production copying because that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, in a way, yeah, it is. That's where we really analyze our consistency. And, yeah. yeah, where we can have, you know, eight batches of the same coffee. Mm. And there will always be like subtle nuances, uh, slight variations on a roast curve. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you claim to be able to reproduce your roast curves 100% every time, then you're lying. Because no. that's not possible. Yeah. Either you're lying or your probes are not very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might have nice uh, wide super slow gentle probes which yeah. uh yeah yeah and we talk about that as well mm. uh the yeah. roast curves yeah so once you get into roast curves then you open a whole kind of uh can of worms really because it's yeah. um it's it's very difficult to kind of relate them across different machines and different roasters and of course different coffees and yeah yeah and you we just mentioned that you did the loring course in japan yeah it was a nordic roasting style seminar um, I talked a little bit about Loring because that's the way we, we, machine we're using now, and I find that is a good machine actually. Well, the, the convection properties of that machine kind of suits our roasting style. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But you yeah. mentioned to me uh, in the office that the curves on that roaster were very different from our curves. Yeah, so part of that uh, two-day course was a um, little roasting demonstration, and so I tried to sort of, of course, wanted to show our style and yeah, looked at some of our 15 kilo profiles and tried to replicate them and it was impossible. Yeah. So even on the same machine, it was a Loring S35, um, it, was, it was a much different sort of heat setup and thermocouples were different and yeah, yeah. they just, uh, there was no way I could replicate the roast. Yeah, so, yeah. but that's uh, funny because Loring actually has standardized probes and everything. Mm. But uh, I think, you know, part of the reason is uh, we actually don't have a stack on our on our roaster. We have a big kind of ventilator that's sucking air out mm. of the room, mixing the hot air from the roaster with cold air from outside. So we don't actually have a chimney mm. or a stack. Yeah, so, so I think some of our, uh, if you look at our curves, they look a little different to the like more traditional Loring yeah. shapes. Yeah. yeah. So that just tells us yeah. that, you know, you can't really copy any curve and uh, expect the results to be fantastic. Exactly. So I'm happy to share our curves. Yeah. Uh, it's not like anyone is going to be able to use them for anything. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's. I think it's interesting to look at curves at least to see. Uh, maybe not try to follow them, but to see uh, how mm. people are approaching mm. different coffees. For sure. But uh, it has to be the same roaster that you're looking at. It does, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and even then it's tricky, but um, so yeah, like we sort of say there is no sort of magic roast curve and there's yeah. no one right and I wish there was because it would have made it much easier to yeah. say do this and uh, have a theory and all your problems are solved, but it's, uh, it's more sort of complicated. And we have yeah. a couple of teachers out there that I think are, you know, teaching a lot of good stuff, but one of them is Scott Brow and he's very vocal about uh, the declining rate of rise curve and mm. so on. Mm. Can you just you know, talk a little bit about what is rate of rise? Um, so the rate of rise basically measures the speed of the roast. It's yeah. telling you like the rate of rise of temperature. Um, for us, we can measure the, the bean temperature and the return temperature. Yeah. Um, so that gives us a number of how quickly the roast is. Yeah. 
is going yeah. developing. So how many degrees yeah. per 60 seconds or 15 seconds? Yeah, or? so we always set it for 60 seconds because it gives us more of an overview of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is probably contrary to what Scott would recommend. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I'm not saying. sure either. Yeah. I think he does want to have it more accurate, Tiger. maybe at 30 seconds yeah. or 15. Yeah. For but us, that gives a little bit too much noise, and yeah. um, it doesn't show us a trend, kind of, on the, and so it's sort of easier to follow with the 60 seconds. So. Yeah. yeah, and uh, of course, if you're using a software like Cropster, you can switch when you're analyzing the curves afterwards. Yeah, you can have a look. That's pretty easy. But uh, mm. I think, you know, Red or Rise for me, you know, I've been roasting for mm, 15 years, and uh, 15 years ago, nobody even knew that Red or Rise existed. <laughs> but we were still able to roast, you know, decent coffees, except my espresso rolls were like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I Let's think, you know, back there, yeah. it, Radar Rice uh, has a lot of attention these days because uh, people think they should look uh, this way or that way. It's, it's, it's become like a formula, yeah. I think. And, um, and to my surprise, at least, because I'm the one, uh, I'm sure you do as well, but I, I, whenever we do production coffee, I have to look at the curves on the coffees that I like the most. Mm. And sometimes, you know, the curves doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Like why there's, you know. Yeah. So um, I think for me at least, I don't really look for a specific um, yeah. kind of curve because uh, different coffees have different curves mm. uh, and they can still taste great. Mm. Um, for sure. Having said that, if you, if you work on a specific roaster with a specific setup, you might, you know, have you know, there's kind of a trend how they look like, but uh, it's not yeah. like a, a, a one answer to how it should no. look like. And I think with the lowering as well, it's it's slightly different to some of uh, the drum roasters where I think um, at least Scott is uh, working a lot with drum roasters yeah. and has these series for declining rate of, rate of rises. Yeah. Um, and I think he also admits that with the lowering, things are different because thermocouples are very sensitive. Yeah. Just the, the thermodynamics of the, the machine are very different. Yeah. yeah. So I think one lesson that is very, very important when you read Scott Brow's book, which I highly recommend reading, uh, is that, you know, uh, this is a system that he has uh, kind of worked out. Uh, and there it's kind of things that he, in his experience, he has learned. But uh, it might not work on no. every single copy, yeah. every single roaster. But at least try it out. Yeah. I remember we tried it out on our UG15. And of course, I missed the point where maybe our probes were you know, yeah. too slow or something. So when we tried to have our curves look like the ones he showed in the book, the coffees were terribly underdeveloped, mm. green. Yeah. Uh, and we had so many complaints. So after, you know, it took me like eight months. Yeah. And then I changed it back to the way we used to do it. But that was because... I think mainly because the airflow setup was different. Mm. Uh, we couldn't go as low as he recommended because then the roast would just overheat. Yeah. Um, and the probes were much thicker. Yeah. So the curves looked, you know, completely different. Yeah, exactly. So this, the probes are the ones that are giving you those numbers. And really, like, instead of treating that as like a holy grail, yeah. I've heard it described more as like a roadmap or a treasure map. And I think that's a good way to look at it because it's something you should use to repeat your steps to get back to what you, yeah. what you enjoyed. And the only way we can do that is by sensory analysis. Really. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, tasting the coffees is very, very important, but knowing what to taste for is equally important. And that's part of the reason why we do this kind of roast defect 
mm. uh, training because if you don't really know what to look for, yeah. you can taste as much as you want, but you're never going to progress. Yeah. So I think also I always recommend having some references on the table yeah. and it doesn't really matter what the references are. It could be a coffee that you really like from another roaster or it could be you know, a Starbucks French roast or whatever. Mm. Anything that's different from your coffee will help yeah. you taste your coffee better. For sure, you need that kind of perspective. Yeah, yeah. and just to—it's uh, a good way. I think when we're looking for slightly underdeveloped green notes, it's nice to have a darker roasted coffee on the table yeah. because then you can sort of come back. And then, and the opposite, if you think your coffee's a little roasty, like maybe have something lighter on the table. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can really sort of compare there. Yeah, there's other things we also talk about, uh, and that's uh, you know setting up the production cupping. Yep. Like a lot of people measure their beans to a 0.1 gram accuracy, but then they forget to measure how much water they put mm. in the cup. And that mm. could be, you know, 20 gram difference from cup to another. So <laughs> being consistent in how much water you mm. put in the cup at production cupping is extremely important because you're trying to taste the difference between Each batches roast, yeah. and roasts. Mm. So if you have differences in brewing ratios, yeah. Yeah, then you you're not really sure what you're tasting. Exactly. And so also testing the extraction. A very common mistake is to grind two cores mm. and the coffee's become a little thin. Yeah, <laughs> under-extracted. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, the answer to that you think is, okay, we need to roast this coffee darker. Yeah, so you confuse that with underdeveloped sort of notes. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's important to know what's your extraction, what kind of grinder you're mm. using and so on. And routines and consistency. Yeah. So our protocols, I think that sort of summarizes us as a roastery, is like have very strict routines and um, protocols across all stages of the roasting process. Yeah. And especially when you come to production copying because it's all about uh, repeatability and consistency. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Consistency. And, and of course you can improve. Oh, yeah. But uh, it doesn't mean you should stop testing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we kind of, as to go on from that, we sort of always look at our coffees from a sort of a negative angle in that production cupping, don't we? Yeah. Um, of course, we recognize when things are tasting really good and we're like, yeah, but we're never satisfied. Yeah. And we always think there's room for improvement for the coffees, for the roasts. Yeah. Um, so it's more about kind of scoring those coffees, um, what we can improve and find better. Yeah. yeah. I think um, when we had our old roaster, the roaster itself was not so consistent. Uh, it was difficult to work with to be consistent and it was just because we were sucking so much air yeah. from the ambient into the roaster yeah, and so and that was so up and down. Um, so back then at least I used to kind of look for the best roast all the time yeah. and then select that as the recipe. Try and repeat that. Today I think we, because our loring is a closed system, it's a much more consistent roaster. Uh, if the coffees are tasting consistent across from batch to batch, mm. I don't feel the need to change the profile mm. unless I ask you and you say it's mm. been difficult to follow. Yeah. Um, but if the overall trend of the coffee is that, mm, yeah, the coffees were consistent, but it's tasting maybe slightly towards green now yeah. or slightly roasty, mm. then we have to look at the profile yeah. and, and change it. Mm. So it's a, I think it's a little bit easier to work with the coffee now and we don't really change the recipes every week on every single coffee like we did. No. Um, so it's, um, yeah, we're looking at it from a different perspective now, I think. Yeah. It's more like a trend or instead of like batch to batch. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
which you know makes my job easier. And then I think we look a lot more at like the total time of the roast as well. Oh, we can go through a bit with the roast phases and yeah, and let's talk about modulation. Yeah, uh, there's another uh, author of a roasting book called Rob Hoos, who's yeah. also doing a lot of loring training. Yeah, I know you've been to. It's a very interesting guy, and I love the way he uh, talks about coffee and roasting, and he has so many good ideas and so experienced on all types of machines. Yeah. But I've learned a lot from him. Uh, with loring roasting, and um, he's also very open and uh, forthcoming as well. So yeah. I, I'll just text him on WhatsApp if I'm thinking about something, and he gets back to me. Oh, you have a yeah. hotline to uh, yeah. I mean, lucky yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure he's he's happy to answer any questions for anyone. He's so he's such a, yeah a open fire. But um, yeah, his book came out a few years ago about sort of modulating the different phases to achieve different results, yeah. um, which is something that was really interesting and we looked at a lot. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, partly based on that, uh, Cropster also changed the way you can log coffee. So True. now you can yeah. push like a yellowing phase and mm. so on. Why don't we do that, Ben? We don't <laughs> do that. Um, we, kind of, we think about the roast phases, yeah. um, but we, when we come to production, we don't sort of worry about uh, modulating those, uh, like the yellowing phase or the drying time or the development time. Yeah. We, to be honest, we don't even mark first crack. We mark it at uh, like 200 degrees for yeah. every coffee. We don't try to listen for, for it or yeah. find when it actually happens, but we know it's probably around about that time. Yeah. So for us, it's just, uh, yeah, a mark on the roast curve, and that's the only mark we put on that roast curve. Yeah. Yeah. I think, the, you know, for me, it's the reason why we don't do it it's uh, because we have three persons roasting for us you and uh, marit and fotis and mm. uh, to be able to mark something as vague as a yellowing face mm. like what type of yellow should it be it's, when we push that it's button? subjective i suppose so it's yeah. not something we could be consistent on no it? i yeah. don't think anyone can be consistent yeah. on it actually no. and also first crack we used to listen to that on our old roaster because we could he actually hear it mm. Uh, but, but when, when do you, do you mark it? <laughs> is it the first bean cracking? Or? Yeah. yeah, so that's also, yeah. So in order to be consistent, we, we decided, okay, let's mark at 200 degrees. Normally, you know, some of our coffees, you can see on the curves that they're cracking at 198 degrees, mm. you know, so on. doesn't really matter. At 200 degrees, just mark it, and then you kind mm. of have that kind of time afterwards as the development time. Yeah. It's a bit more consistent, I think. It's just a mark on the roast where you, so when you're following a profile, yeah. It's pretty much just a, a little kind of a pointed like, am I a little ahead or behind? Yeah. Um, so to be honest, we don't really worry about development time either. No, that's um, true. It's more about total time. Yeah. And uh, for us, we're focusing a lot on color track and yeah. like roast degree. Yeah. So we're using the color track software to, to read the color of the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we use the color track? Well, it's very consistent. Mm. It's not just one measurement. Uh, in 20 seconds, the, the sample will spin around inside the kind of microwave <laughs> device <laughs> the laser. and it'll measure, I think, 200,000 times and mm. you'll get the average. Yeah. Instead of, we used to have a colorette from Probat as well, which was equally expensive, I think, but needed calibration all the time. Mm. And when you move the sample around, it will get a different number. So I think, you know, it doesn't really... The most important is that you have a device that's consistent mm, yeah. and that you have a consistent way of preparing a sample, yeah. which can also affect how it reads. But uh, yeah. color measurement is for sure very important. Yes, 
I think um, we, in our experience, we have found that that really affects the overall characteristics of the, the roast and the coffee. Yeah. So um, we've kind of narrowed it down to a one-point window. Yeah. So um, we found uh, lower than that, we're tasting underdeveloped notes, and higher than that, we're starting to get um, slightly dry, yeah. roasty kind of defects. Some coffees are more flexible, others not. Yeah, and that window <laughs> is different for every coffee too. So yeah. you need to sort of find that window which works for you and for works for all those different coffees. Yeah. Um, so for example, uh, some of our Ethiopian coffees, the windows are you know, 48 to 49 on the color track. Mm. Uh, and the higher the number, the darker the roast. Yeah. And on our Tamala, for instance, it's like 50 to 51. Yeah. Uh, and our espresso would typically be 52 yeah. to 54 in that range, yeah. depending. So um, yeah. still very light, I think, all of them. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, I, roast, I haven't roasted without the color measurement. Mm. But I know, especially from our old roaster and also our new one, is that over time, if you just, even if you follow the same profile and you take the coffee out on the same temperature, mm. the color will change over time. Yeah, you, you, you drift as well. Yeah. Like it's impossible not to slightly drift one way or the other. Yeah. So, um, and it's much easier to understand roasting, I think, when you have a reference like that. Mm. So what happens if you, for instance, had too little heat in the beginning or too much yeah. and trying to compensate for that later in the roast? What happens, you know, with the yeah. color? Uh, the color is going to change. And it, yeah, exactly. And it's not the answer as well. Like it's not the only solution for the roasting. You can't say, you can get to the same color and have a coffee which is not tasting great. Yeah. Um, but then you've got to look about how you got there too. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's, yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a way of kind of holding consistency and. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I guess you could uh, do the steak analogy. Like you can get a core temperature of 65 degrees Mm. or 60 or whatever you want in many different ways yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, especially with the coffee I mean like I said earlier I used to roast espresso for 20 minutes mm. and the color wasn't that much darker than, no. you know of course it was darker than than it is today but uh, yeah. uh, I started speeding up the roast down to like 15 minutes when I started roasting in my mm. store with the same color actually but the taste was completely different mm. and of course if we tasted those coffees now, they would both be horribly roasty. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So obviously, modulating those roast phases makes a big difference. Yeah. And um, but uh, we don't really think about it on a day-to-day -day level in production about um, maybe extending the Maillard reaction phase yeah. to develop more body, or vice versa. We sort of think more about total time yeah. and color, don't we? Yeah. And that's actually, I had a conversation with Morten Munchau about this. Morten Munchau is uh, the creator of Coffee Mind and mm. does a lot of research and uh, lectures about roasting and coffee. Yeah. And, uh, and he's, sensory analysis. He's been yeah. researching, you know, with Rob Hus and his techniques, uh, how does it affect flavor? And mm. they've used sensory analysis, uh, as sensory scientist Ida Sten, who's also working with them, to, uh, to evaluate these samples. And they found. Uh, very inconclusive results. Mm. <laughs> the, I think the biggest impact was, uh, like he said, total time and color. Roast degree. Yeah. yeah. So, total time can be different from roaster to roaster, yeah. and batch size to batch size. So, if you're roasting, you know, 30 kilos, uh, you probably need a little bit more time than if you do a 100 gram mm. sample. Yeah. So. Um, Close. Yeah. At least in my experience, sample roasters are a little bit quicker than mm. uh, production roasts. 
Yeah, now roast, like now if I just sort of do a little overall summary, like we probably have roast spanning from nine and a half minutes to 11 minutes yeah. in general for yeah. filter roast. Yeah. Um, and I kind of have this feeling or a trend that we're, we're sort of going, starting to go a little bit longer with our roasts. They seem to be coming, like the um, cut to IE from the Caballeros was tasting yeah. fantastic on Monday and yeah. that's 10 and a half minutes. Yeah. And I think that's the best it's ever cropped. And I sort of sense that, okay, we need to extend a little bit our roasting time. Yeah. yeah. Depends also on the moisture content, I think. Mm. So, um, especially with the high moisture content, you need a little bit more time in the roaster and yeah. more power. Yeah. Uh, with the drier coffees, you need less time. I mean, there's less water in, mm. uh, and uh, you need a little bit less power as well. Yeah, and with some of the Kenyans, like we're we're really finishing with a, a sharp declining rate of rice, yeah. um, which some people would call that as like almost crashing and stalling the roast. Yeah. Um, but on the lowering, that I think those thermocouples are so sensitive and accurate, perhaps that uh, it shows the temperature really falling down, but perhaps the coffee inside the drum is not reacting as quickly as those yeah. thermocouples. And um, yeah, and also we're looking for a little bit more acidity and a little more sort of, you know, yeah. fruit and brightness in that coffee, so. And you have to remember that uh, the roast environment is still extremely hot. <laughs> yeah. It's still well above 200 degrees, so. Uh, exactly, so maybe those thermocouples are, are too accurate. Maybe, yeah, maybe. those kind of older, thicker ones are kind of more realistic to what is happening with the, the coffee itself. Yeah, maybe. But who knows? Like, yeah. You want as accurate as possible, that's what you want. I think, you know, uh, comparing a Loring to a drum roaster is also, because you're recycling a lot of the air, the environment will always be very hot. Mm. Whereas if you crush the curve uh, on a drum, on our old drum roaster where it sucks in a lot of cold air mm. all the time, it would be a disaster. Mm. So um, then you really are crashing. I think. Yeah. So I think you know there there is for sure uh, a lot of wisdom about uh, about all these theories, mm. but uh, it doesn't mean that it works on your particular setup. No. So check that. Yeah. And um, it's very easy to be influenced by um, comments and theories and blogs, and I am personally all the time. And I, it's, uh, it's human nature to kind of read <laughs> and try to develop. And um, yeah. so I'm often like checking blogs or talking to other roasters or sort of listening or keeping an ear out for what's happening. Yeah. And then, you know, you subtly try to kind of bring those techniques into your roasting style. And when you cup it blind and do production cupping, they're never the ones that are working the best. No. Or very rarely are they improvements. So, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think, you know, my theory over the years is to not really theorize. Mm. That's uh, my. Uh, that's the way I like to work. At least it might be a little bit more complicated. Mm. Um, I don't feel like I have tons of experience, mm. uh, even though I look at curves all the time and we cup coffees every Monday. Mm. Um, I still feel like uh, every coffee is you, slightly different, and also my taste preference develop over time. Mm. And you know, if I had tasted our coffees today. Uh, the way they taste today, you know, five years ago, would I, you like I, yeah. I would have been, you know, much further in my development, I think, because yeah. um, I didn't even know that was possible, you mm. know, five years ago, yeah. to go as light and as sweet and um, mm. without having these kind of green notes. Yeah. So um, I think for me, at least, the best way to develop your own roast curves is to develop your palate. And yeah knowing what to look for when you taste the coffees mm. 
and also there to taste your coffees in different environments. So bring your coffees to other roasters, mm. taste them blind next to their roasts. And, uh, and as know. we talked about in the previous episode, that's why the Nordic Roasting uh, um, program is, like the competition is just so valuable as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, because that's actually what you do. You yeah. bring your coffee to the table and- uh, Put it on there against nine others. And yeah, uh, you don't really know what's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you, you have to trust your own taste, but uh, it's not been every year that we preferred our own roast. No, and um, you know, it's also difficult to recognize your own coffee sometimes. Yeah. Um, so what you think your coffee tastes like yeah. in your lab, yeah. whereas in the reality when you took it into this, you know, in the real world. Yeah. It's, it's, um, different vessels, different water, different grinder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different experience. I think that's, uh, let's sum it up uh, with that. The best way to improve your coffee is to taste it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to learn uh, a little bit more about what to look for, uh, you can check out our roasting classes. Yeah. Come and visit us in Oslo. And yeah, yeah. We, uh, we are open. Uh, we, the basic idea is that we show everyone how we work. Yep. Uh, no secrets. And uh, we take you through that journey in two days. Um, and of course, if you want to hire Ben for some consultancy or something, mm. you can contact us as well. You're just in Japan doing that, and you've done like the master training for Loring. Yep, in Copenhagen. So but you also have experience with other machines. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. An important to emphasize. So, thanks for listening. Thanks, Ben, for uh, yeah, joining thanks, me. Yeah, That was fun. And uh, let's see if we can make some more episodes in the future about roasting. Yeah, that that sounds great. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye.